from indies to foreign films, from the underseen to the underrated, this is Not Your Average Movie Podcast. Alright everyone, welcome to Not Your Average Movie Podcast. Not Your Average Movie Podcast. Not Your Average Movie Podcast. And I'm your host, Tom Stiff, and with me is my friend and good buddy, Adam Demedictus. Alright, and what movie are we talking about today, Adam? We are talking about City of God. Rio de Janeiro. The beach. The nightlife. The romance, but 15 miles from paradise, is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. In the poverty-stricken favelas of Rio de Janeiro in the 1970s, two young men choose different paths. Rocket is a building photographer who documents the increasing drug-related violence in his neighborhood. Leo Zé is an ambitious drug dealer who uses Rocket as photos as a way to increase his fame as a turf war erupts with his rival, Knockout Ned. So, okay. Overall, Adam, from, you know, a scale to, eh, didn't really love it at all, to I freaking love this, uh, I don't know how you just feel about this movie. I am a big fan of this movie. I, I love uh, the stylistic choices it makes, some of its messaging. It, it just feels really authentic, almost like a documentary, uh, just the way that the cinematography just feels like you're in the room or uh, just with the characters. And I, I think the pacing of it is fun. I, I really enjoyed watching it. So I, I would give this movie probably a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 as a big fan. All right. Going into my overview, I'm pretty much right alongside you. I love this movie. And I think this movie more than some others shows the importance of international films or films from other countries because you get stories like this, which have been told numerous times in American cinemas. In this case, it's a typical mob story. But just from it being from a different country gives it a whole new life and almost a whole new perspective that we wouldn't have ever thought about or even seen as Americans. Yeah, and it's shown through a local Brazilian lens. Um, This movie is based on a book by Paulo Lins, uh, who is a Brazilian author who grew up in the favelas of Rio de Janeiro. His story is kind of a similar bystander story uh, to Rocket in this film uh, because he grew up in this situation and was able to get out and find some kind of success. When the directors were interpreting his work, they also grew up in Brazil, maybe not in the slums of Rio de Janeiro, but they went to the slums of Rio de Janeiro to cast people and a lot of the people if not almost all of the people in this movie weren't actors before this and they're from the slums that they're portraying in the movie also because i guess i saw an interview where they explained that in brazil they wanted to cast all black actors because it would make it authentic but in brazil much like in america there are many racist issues going on And there just weren't enough black actors working, period, to be able to cast for this entire movie. Mm. Even if they didn't want to, which they ended up wanting to anyways, for authenticity reasons, they went with pretty much non-actors who got like a two-week acting boot camp. And they hired them straight out of the favelas and, you know, tried to give them a life with any of the uh, extra income from the movie afterwards, too. Wow, I I didn't know that. That makes me appreciate it that much more because literally everyone held their weight on this movie. I mean, the acting was super authentic and believable. Um, Even when people are doing terrible things and just killing each other left and right, uh, there's like a level 
of empathy that's still there just because of the way that they're uh, being played by the actors. Yeah, and going along that line of the actors, the main actor who played Rocket was a fantastic narrator, just almost a bystander, but has just enough agency in the plot to make sure we're always in the thick of it. Um, But weirdly, he's, in my head, not the protagonist or even the main character. That goes to the actor who played Little Zay, and he was fantastic, at least at portraying this almost oddly sympathetic psychopath. I don't, I mean, he's a pure sociopath. I mean, just from a young age. Um, and I, I guess we'll have to wait until the spoiler section to really go in depth about it. But he grew up in this kind of messed up situation and just became a cold blooded killer with no regard for human life. And I would say he's. He's definitely the antagonist. I mean, he's the main. There are so many points throughout this movie where I was like, uh, "Just, just shoot Zay, just, just, just shoot sh- Lil Zay, please. just shoot him right now, someone, just please." End it all. I'm not even saying Lil Zay was the protagonist technically. I'm saying that I feel like the movie revolves around him and his story, and Rocket is just a big integral part and is always at these big historical events at least for that favela in um what they call the city of god yeah which again is a real place the book was technically based on a true story and again the based in is a heavy quotation marks because no one can actually verify this guy's life but it is very autobiographical according to the author yeah and city of god is a real slum uh sedade de deuce i'm definitely mispronouncing it is the name of a, a neighborhood in Rio de Janeiro. And they uh, name drop it throughout the movie, calling it City of God. And I'm like, hey, that's the name of the movie. Hey. But, <laughs> and I thought that was just like the nickname for that slum, but that's the actual name of the neighborhood. But I think it does have kind of uh, relevance. Well, they even say in the movie that it's the place where none of God's prayers are answered. Yeah, it's a place where none of God's prayers are answered, but it's also the city of God because uh, it has so much control over the lives of the people that live there. It's kind of like they live in like uh, a little world that they can't get out of. It, it has like a thick membrane. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, like yeah, a yeah. little Truman show almost. Yeah, it's a community that's very hard to get out of. Yeah, it's very, that's basically the overarching theme here. All these characters are really trying to get out of the city of God, uh, except for little Zay. I mean, he's trying to dominate it. Yeah. One, again, with this being a foreign film, it really shows almost the the similarities and the differences between many of the poor neighborhoods of America and a lot of the gang violence that happens in there, but also contrasts it with how it's different in other countries and other cultures. And even other time periods, like back in the 60s and 70s, where all drug trade and all crime is virtually the same. It's just the way it's handled and the way everything operates is just slightly different. Like, I know that child drug trafficking is a thing in this country, too. But this movie really predominantly shows how much children are involved from an early age in this life of crime and drug trade and they want to get in on this war and murder people. Yeah, and how easily uh, you can get sucked into it for just like the pettiest reasons. People from all over the community uh, kind of get involved and get corrupted uh, in this whole ordeal. Yeah, and in a lot of American mob stories, they'll be like, oh, I got corrupted at a young age. And they'll be like 12, 16, which is still very young. But in this movie... Getting corrupted at a young age is like getting corrupted at like six or seven years old. And they're like, oh, here's a pistol. Yeah. And at the beginning of the movie, we have Lil Dice, we have Rocket and Benny. And they're kind of like three younger kids who are hanging out with their older brothers. And that's how they kind of get sucked into it with the whole like motel thing that happens. And you see more in the modern day, like uh, late 70s, early 80s. There's just groups of kids, groups of like 
seven to ten year old kids who get involved. They're kind of like taking it up on their own and uh, getting into crime without just being there to keep watch uh, for the older kids who are committing the crimes. So it's showing kind of that progress or de-evolution, I guess, over the course of a decade or two. The situation in the favela just gets worse and kids get corrupted at younger and younger ages. The violence just spreads uh, like a virus. Yeah, when this movie, much like other mob movies, is an epic. It is spanning numerous years and is really telling the story about the city. And kind of like how we talked about in Blind Spotting a couple weeks back, that the city of God, the city itself, is very much a character in the movie, about as much as Rocket is. And just showing the development of these usually three main characters, and really mainly just Rocket and Lose, and how they grow along with how this city of God grows. And it starts pretty much from the beginning of this favela. Where it's small, they have no electricity, it's the 60s, and there's, you know, a small community there. But it's pretty much just these three kids committing crimes, and they're considered a gang, to eventually the 70s where the city has grown, and it is more of a actual city than before, where there's a lot of people living there now. But there's also a huge crime boom, and more people means more drug traffic means just higher, higher escalation to the point where it went from just the crime starting out in this neighborhood as, you know, three or four people being considered a gang to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people controlling the different areas of this big favela now. Yeah, to the point where it seems like the whole city uh, is involved in the drug trafficking. Yeah, well, and where the city kind of has no other, you know, they, they don't have any other opportunities or revenue sources other than the drug trade because otherwise they view no other way of getting out. And again, that's one of the ways it's almost similar to a lot of the gang violence and a lot of gang culture that's in America now, which again is interesting to see from a different culture's perspective, but also just how little actual authority there is there. What authority is there is just straight up corrupt. Which, again, not all too different from here either, but it seems a lot more like a war, almost like it was during um, Pablo Escobar's time, where he actually started a full-blown war. Whereas here, we've never gotten a full-blown war, but we've gotten, you know, a lot of violence, a lot of problems, a lot of crime. And just seeing how growing up in one area versus, you know, literally 15 miles away in, like, what you see as Rio de Janeiro on a postcard are almost just two wholly separate worlds. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the 60s, the police were kind of like inept in this movie. Like they were struggling to find people involved in the motel massacre. And they had a very weak hold on the favela and the crime there. And then the crime just got worse and worse over the years and it was easier for them to just get paid off or more beneficial for them to get paid off. And uh, there is no kind of remedy for that because if you make, say, say bribery is illegal or who's going to arrest the cops because those cops want to get paid off too. So it's a vicious cycle. Everything in this movie from the acting, the directing, just the constant storyline in this movie was just so excellently woven together to the point where I think this is my favorite gangster movie. It was Goodfellas before this. And I love The Godfather, but The Godfather is kind of a fantasy. It's a really cool fantasy. It's a very well done fantasy, but mm. it's kind of... You wouldn't count it as a gangster movie? It is a gangster movie. Yeah. It's for sure a gangster movie. It just doesn't... It's probably number three in my favorites because... I feel like Goodfellas is so much more real about what mobsters are actually like than um, The Godfather is. But this movie brings it just one step further into realism and one step further into interesting me because it is about crime, but told in a different way and in a different place than what we're customarily used to here. And again, that's what I think the power 
of foreign films and international films truly is, is that we can have the same stories told in more interesting ways or even just different ways because of the fact that they're told from the perspective of a different culture. Yeah. And just comparing it to Goodfellas, um, I think they both kind of have that realism uh, approach. They both feel uh, pretty authentic. There's some artistry with the pacing that I like um, in City of God. And I guess Goodfellas is like a three hour movie. So it is kind of more drawn out. And I think City of God was more concise by comparison, I guess. Yeah, the pacing of this movie is immaculate, which is weird to say about pacing, but it is almost perfect pacing. There is not a single moment in this movie that I was ever bored. Yeah. So, yeah, I got pretty attached to a lot of the characters. Um, They were shown through the perspective of Rocket. So the people that he's closest to got kind of the most screen time and attention in this movie. Yeah. So there's the trio of gang members uh, who are closest to Rocket. Uh, and around the same time in the movie, Shaggy and Goose and Clipper um, are trying to get out of the favela and start new lives. So you get to see these characters pretty close up. And, and later in the film, uh, Benny it gets a lot of attention and he becomes like kind of a, a uniting figure between all of these characters who are Uh, still around in the favela at that time yeah you were talking about like favorite characters or characters you got attached to i got attached to benny yeah i love benny he's a nice guy every everyone's chill with benny even the audience is chill with benny i mean benny's friends with an absolute sociopath little zay i mean debate that's his one thing but i was gonna say debatably benny himself is a bit of a sociopath yeah because he's not scared. I mean, he's right along Lil Zay murdering and taking over this favela. The only reason you think he's a cool guy is because, well, he's just not as psychotic as his friend. And he seems like an actual human being. Yeah. Unlike some of the people in this movie who just don't even seem like, it's hard to say this, but it's, they almost don't seem human. Yeah. I mean, Benny just has like genuine connections with people that are outside of the motivations of uh the drug business and like kill or be killed like he 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 gets along with tiago because of his fashion sense he is good friends with rocket uh just because they go far back but he's also really supportive of this photography thing that rocket's pursuing and he's also friends with both carrot and uh little zay so they he kind of keeps the peace a little bit yeah i feel like i feel like we should move on to spoilers <laughs> yeah we might want to move on to spoilers <laughs> yeah but overall i think what you were trying to say is kind of we get like a whole range of characters from you know the good to the evil to the lawful evil like to the straight up psychotic with Lose. no one is 100 good and even Lose to an extent isn't 100 evil but I mean, he's about 99.99% of the way there. He's basically like Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas. I think Zay's level of evil would be less understandable if we didn't see him when he was younger. That's very true. If we didn't see how everything developed, which is where the movie strongly succeeds, it's just showing you exactly how this favela became the way that it was in the 80s and 70s through that intro in the 60s. Yeah, and it kind of comes around full circle, uh, and we'll talk about that more in the spoiler section. Yeah, on that note, why don't we move on to the spoilers? Spoiler section. Yeah, so the film first opens up from the perspective of a chicken while... Uh, these gang members are cutting heads off of other chickens and it's kind of a metaphor for the city of God. Uh, it's this chicken really wants to run away from the situation. He sees what's coming. Uh, he knows he's going to be killed if he sticks around any longer. Um, and that's kind of the situation that all of these characters are in, uh, in the film. So I thought that was a, a really strong start. 
it does what a lot of movies do and starts at the end of the movie and has the main character go, well, I guess you're wondering how I got in this crazy predicament. <laughs> Except, you know, a lot more violent and a lot more scary. Yep. But yeah, no, then it's uh, then it flashbacks back to the 60s where we get Rocket, Lil Dice at the time, which eventually becomes Lil Zay, the main antagonist, and Benny all playing soccer. And then there's these three older gang members and you kind of get to see, as we were talking about, you get to see the start of crime and the start of this favela where they say, you know, anyone without a job, anyone who wants opportunity come to the city of God, which is kind of a lie. They have no electricity and it's basically just a slum to put everyone who they view as, you know, undesirable or some such at the time. Yeah. I think it was cool how they flash back starting at the moment their innocence was kind of broken in their childhood. They started with just playing soccer and being kids. uh, And then that day, uh, their lives kind of change and they get roped in to the crime of the favela. Yeah, well, and right from the start, Leo Zay is already part of the main three, the gang. They're just committing, you know, what you would consider small crimes, you know, robbing trucks. They're thinking of themselves as some sort of Robin Hood where they're robbing from the rich and giving to the poor neighborhood and the neighborhood hides them out of respect but also it starts to show the cops becoming a lot more aggressive towards the people there to the point where they're just willing to shoot anyone who they even suspect of being part of this gang but the gang considers themselves a bunch of robin hoods they're all fairly moral people they never actually want to kill anyone they just want to steal from the rich give to the poor and also mostly just give to themselves but you know that's kind of how these robin hood types go they're Really just criminals who excuse their criminal habits by saying, oh, we're doing good for the community. It's all good. But it just starts off with these three guys giving kind of small petty crimes until they plan this big motel raid. Yeah. And they all kind of start with the rule that they don't kill any innocent people. That's always been kind of a thing where they start with that rule and then they start breaking. it, And there is somewhat reasonable exceptions to the rule uh, and then it just gets more and more ridiculous over time like uh, when they did the motel raid they all agreed don't kill any innocent people we're not shooting we are just using our guns for power uh, so we can get money and stuff uh, and intimidate people um, and Lil Dice who's supposed to keep watch is responsible for probably all of the deaths or most of the deaths and nobody really knows that until much later on uh, in the motel massacre. Yeah, one well, technically no one in the movie actually knows that um, Leo Dice was the one who murdered everyone in the hotel. They show you that later. And that's one of the most haunting scenes of this movie. So what happens is after the tree, the main trio go in and leave Leo Dice out to keep watch, they rob all the people, get away with their giant score, all their money. And eventually, while the cops are looking for them, they tell them, we found everyone dead. Everybody at this motel was massacred. And we know for a fact it wasn't those three guys, so who was it? And then when it flashes back to Lil Dice, just laughing maniacally as he just blasts these innocent people, it was just, it was, it got the movie started off on a very dark note but a very appropriately dark note. And it kind of shows you exactly with what you're dealing with. Cause in my opinion, that might be the most disturbing part of the movie. Yeah. It, it definitely sticks with you. It's a very iconic performance by that little kid. He did a, a really amazing job just selling that disturbing effect of yeah, the psychopathy. Yeah. Yeah. Just this kid killing a ton of people for no reason. Uh, he doesn't have to kill anyone, not to save himself, not to get anything out of it. He's just killing to kill. Yeah, because he enjoys it. And we never think of a little kid as having the capability to do that or the, even the capability to be that psychotic at that young an age. But again, in these kind of environments, it's very possible. Yeah, I think he felt kind of left out being 
there just to keep watch. He wanted to be like one of the older kids. And he thought, oh, that's what the older kids do. They play around with guns. And you see that kind of reflected in the next generation later in the movie um, where this kid's like, I'm an adult. I've killed people. Like, just because his innocence was broken, uh, he thinks that he's mature. And uh, that's kind of a fallacy that all these kids come victim to, and they're not really able to develop and think rationally before they make big decisions like murdering people. Yeah, well, kids here, again, are like, you know, you go through teen angst and you're arguing with your parents about small stuff, being like, I'm an adult now. I can make my own decisions. And in your head, being an adult and making your own decisions is like being able to go out late at night, not having to have your parents worry about you. Whereas here, being an adult and being a quote unquote man is I've killed people. I've killed someone. I fought for my own. I fired a gun. Like that's the sign of rebellious adulthood as opposed to, oh, I want to go out late with my girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> just the loss of innocence at a very early age. And I feel like the at least the 1960s part of this movie really shows that and really shows kind of the innocence and beginnings of this favela. Because this favela isn't really that ginormously crime-ridden when we first see it. Yeah, it's usually just petty, like, theft crimes. Yeah, small petty crimes, and but you push a community hard enough, they'll eventually, a lot of them start turning to this, which is what we start seeing as the movie progresses forward into Lose's story and into the early 70s part of the movie. Yeah, and I think everyone wants there to be less crime. Like, nobody likes that everyone's, like, shooting each other. Uh, but that's just kind of what it is, and you have to get into it to survive, really. Yeah, so Lil Zay kind of doubles down on that, and just he has no desire, really, to leave the favela at all, and he's taking those survival instincts to an extreme and doing whatever he can to become feared and powerful. And he has no interest, really, in, like, getting a girlfriend or finding a job, having real friendships, really. Yeah, one part of what you were saying of him being a pure sociopath is when they establish at the beginning of how crazy and how much he likes killing at an early age, that only exacerbates as he gets older of how casually and cavalier he is about murder. The only person he feels anything for, I think, is Benny at the end of the day. That's the only character, I think, in the entire movie that he can say he's friends with and has some sort of positive relation to that he views as another human being other than himself. Where everyone else, I think he just, as a sociopath does, they don't comprehend that there is a human in there that's a person and a soul. Yeah, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense because... I mean, a lot of the guys in Lil Zay's crew are just kind of like bad guy at number five. We don't really see them a whole lot, but Lil Zay grew up with Benny from the very start, um, and they've always been super close. So the moment that Benny dies is kind of the same time that war breaks loose uh, in the slums. Yeah, Lil Zay like loses all of his humanity as soon as Benny is gone. Because Benny was that controlling force where in this early 70s section, there's almost a weird piece after Benny and Lil Zay take down all the rest of the crime lords in the favelas, except for Carrot, who they leave just because Benny's friends with him. And they leave him his little section to keep dealing drugs in yeah and that glue disappears and that's another thing that allows the war to break out benny is no longer the link between carrot and lil zay yeah that temporary piece they had is pretty much entirely evaporated as soon as benny's gone because benny he is a part of the system and he is very much not a good person but i would debate almost no one in this movie other than maybe rocket is actually a good person 
He's a crime lord. He's done all this stuff. He's wanted his power. But unlike Leoze, he doesn't enjoy killing. He wants peace. And I think Leoze wants everyone to be on the same level as him. He doesn't understand that he's the crazy person. And that anytime he sees someone with a monicum of happiness, he doesn't know why he can't have that. And it's the same thing with when he's fighting with Benny and Benny finally seems happy. He's like, why aren't you with me? Why aren't you, you know, still hungry for this? Like, he's got such an inferiority complex that he just lashes out at everyone and usually lashes out with violence. And no one can or wants to stop him because he is the head of all the crime in the city of God at that time. Yeah, and he also has this sense of jealousy with Knockout Ned, uh, who's this kind of handsome guy, according to the narrator. He sleeps with this girl that uh, Lil Zay found attractive, and so Lil Zay showed up to Knockout Ned's house and tried to kill him, but Knockout Ned's brother came out and... That was a moment where I was like, okay, just just shoot Lil Zay, even though there's like a whole army of all his people there. That moment kind of showed why you don't shoot Lil Zay, why you don't stab him, because you're just going to get bombarded with machine guns, which is what happened to Knockout Ned's little brother and like his whole house. And I don't know if Knockout Ned's girlfriend was killed then, too. I think it's only his brother and his uncle who actually died. Yeah. And at that point, it sends Knockout Ned on the warpath, which Knockout Ned, I think, is one of the most interesting characters in this movie. And he doesn't really show up until the last third or so. Because there's the first third in the 60s in the old favela, the early 70s when it's Lil Zay and Benny kind of taking over, which kind of ends with Benny dying. And then now starts the part with Knockout Ned and the big drug war in the late 70s early 80s yeah and i think benny dying was crucial to the war happening but it really wouldn't happen without knockout ned and his thirst for revenge against lil zay and really the only person that knockout ned wanted to kill was lil zay but he got involved with carrots gang and he had this role uh don't kill innocent people and you get this kind of montage where you see that rule become broken. The first time Carrot kills someone to save Knockout Ned, uh, and throughout the montage, that rule gets broken more and more loosely until it gets to the point where Knockout Ned is just like everybody else. Yeah, he kills someone to save Carrot after Carrot had killed someone to save him. And they both were like, you know, exceptions to the rule. If I didn't just kill that guy, you'd be dead right now. But it shows that corrupting influence of the city of God. And that one exception to the rule comes back around the bite Ned in the ass because that's how Ned ends up dying at the end of the day. Yeah. It's because the first time he made the exception to the rule, the first time he killed an innocent man, the son of that innocent man came to kill knockout Ned and eventually succeeded. Yeah, and it's the same circle of revenge that led uh, someone to kill Knockout Ned. Because every time you kill someone, uh, somebody loves that person, and they're going to come for you. So it doesn't end. And the violence still doesn't end, even when Lil Zay is finally killed by the runts, the little kids. You see them playing around with the gun and walking off into the distance, planning. Uh, their lives as the young leaders of this gang. And you can tell that even though Lil Zay, this absolute sociopath, is gone, there's this next generation of Lil Zays, a a ton of them, who are going to grow up to probably be even worse. Yeah, I think that's a big theme of this movie is the cycle of violence. That violence just begets more violence. It's the circle of violence. everywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i feel like that's a lot of what's shown with knockout ned and that transition sequence from early 70s where they take over to now the big war between carrot the other gang leader 
knockout Ned being part of him and having been in the military previously, he's an actually good shooter, unlike most of these people, which are just 14-year-olds that they give a gun to and say, hey, good luck, go fight in the war for me. They basically are like, we know nothing else. I guess I'll go fight for one of these two people. And off to war they go now that there's no one trying to keep the peace. Yeah, and these kids are just joining either side based on uh, someone in Little Zay's gang uh, kill my brother and someone in Little... Little Carrot's side <laughs> uh, shot my uncle. And, and it doesn't matter which side, they're both doing kind of the same thing. It could have easily been someone from the other side who caught your brother or uncle or sister in the crossfire. But they choose a side anyways because they want to get revenge because it just feels right that somebody faces consequences for causing you so much pain and loss. Yeah, when the movie even tries to lure the audience into that same moral dilemma, because right off the bat, we want to side with Ned and be like, yes, whatever Ned does, get revenge on Lose, like, yes, that's the correct solution. And I felt bad for rooting for Knockout Ned at the end of the day, because while he's not as sociopathic and doesn't enjoy the killing like Lose does, he's still a gang member who's killing numerous amounts of innocent people and maybe not so innocent people at the same time but he's killing children he's killing other gang members and he's one of the big parts that's just moving this violence and escalating this violence even larger and if you think about it the only person who gets a good ending in this movie is the one person who never took a shot he held a gun once but he never held anyone up he never committed any crimes he didn't fire a bullet and he is the only one in this entire movie to make it out even somewhat happy. Rocket, I assume you're talking about? Yes, yes, yes Rocket. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know. I thought I specified that. No, I'm trying to think if anyone else really, I mean, Clipper made it out, but that was really early on. Yeah, that was early on enough that getting out was an option. Yeah. <laughs> Where that's another thing they show in the 60s as opposed to the 70s is that like, yeah, in the 60s, you could get out. In the 70s, in the later 80s, no, at that point, you're conscripted to an army. And if you try to get out, you're going to die. Yeah. Even if you don't try to get out, most of the time you're going to try to, you're going to die. I think it's interesting how the conflict was kind of formalized as a war once Knockout Ned, who was in the military, gets involved. I think that's kind of interesting. And everyone else has gun experience, but they really are only used to taking shots at close range, maybe when someone's walking away from them, where they're really not like contested, I guess. They just take shots uh, because F you. Yeah, exactly. None of them are actual marksmen. Like They just view a gun as a toy or just a means to an end to be able to do what they need to do. Yeah. But another thing we d haven't addressed about this movie that much is this movie, weirdly enough, has occasional dark humor bits. Like, just some brief moments of it being, like, mildly funny right before something very horrific. There's a point where Knockout Ned is talking to his family, and he's just like, man, I don't know why that crazy guy didn't kill me. And then it smash cuts to Lil Zay going, wait a minute, why didn't I kill that guy? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And it's really funny right before he goes and massacres his whole family, and you're like, oh, this is kind of like how we talked about an upgrade, where it just goes from really funny in one moment to, wow. That was really dark and not funny. <laughs> yeah. We kind of end on this big war, and that takes up a decent amount of the movie, but not as much as you would think it would. No, it's kind of maybe a third or even a fourth of the movie. Yeah. the All the descriptions I read about this movie talk about the war and how it's about these two different people who went along two different paths. And while it is kind of about that, I feel like they focus a lot more on Lil Zay and the development of the City of God as opposed to Rocket's character, which we can go over a little bit later. But they all talk about this big war, and it's really only another third of the movie out of the big three acts in this film. The prequel to all the crime in the City of God, then the rise in power of the City of God, and then finally the war and the fall of at least this generation of the city of God. But as the movie shows at the very end, 
this whole cycle just starts again right back over, same as it did for our main characters that we've been following through this movie. Yeah, I think it's kind of essential to understanding the war to really spend some time with these characters and identify kind of the reasons that everyone gets involved. So I think those first two thirds was time well spent in the story of the war. I don't think it could have been told on its own. If they just threw you into the war, it would throw off the pacing and the pacing of this movie is so perfect because it takes the time to flush out the city of God and all of the people and the communities in it. Because they show very clearly almost everyone in this neighborhood is a shade of gray of some kind. They're neither completely good nor completely evil. And occasionally you do get the completely good and completely evil person, like Rocket being very much almost the paragon of good, and Lil Zay being almost the paragon of evil. But Lil Zay does dabble in a little trying to be good when Benny pushes him towards it. It doesn't last very long, but he tries a little bit. And same thing with Rocket, if Rocket dabbles a little bit in crime and wants to give it a try when he's very desperate. But the difference between him and Lil Zay is that every time Rocket goes to try to commit a crime, he ends up talking to the person and knowing them as another human being and goes, man, that guy was cool. I couldn't do that to him. And then ends up talking to some girl, getting her number and being like, man, she was so cool. I couldn't hold her up. I couldn't ask for her money. And she gave me her number. Which he eventually rolls into a joint and smokes, which was I thought was hilarious. Yeah, Rocket kind of gets along with everyone. Rocket also only has one goal in this movie, and it's, well, actually, he has two goals. It's to survive everything and to get laid. Yeah, get laid and get out. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so many times through this movie, Rocket's like, man, I just want to get laid. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's interesting how prominent Lil Zay is in this film at knowing that it's from Rocket's perspective. But Lil Zay like, doesn't remember who Rocket is almost every time that he sees him. Uh, he always asks, uh, what's your name, kid? Oh, yeah, you're the, the guy that takes pictures. He also doesn't care about people. Yeah, he doesn't care about people. He doesn't get to know people. If he ever got to know people for a second, maybe he wouldn't be a sociopath. Yeah. These higher level gang members, these people who are the pure sociopaths, don't think of that person as another human being they just think of them as an obstacle in their way yeah i mean rocket doesn't really pose too much benefit to lil zay until like later in the movie when he's involved in the the newspaper he's kind of like a peter parker i do like that in the movie when rocket starts his news job in the newsroom you get to see the huge disparity And just the fact of him being in this office building, you feel like you're in a normal, regular office building. And after being in these slums for so long that you can barely recognize are even taking place in the 70s because they none of them have electricity. They don't have running water. They don't have the modern amenities you would think of in the 70s. And so it almost feels like a town that's almost further back in history than you would actually think it is like it takes place in the 70s but all everything around them is so dilapidated and so not modern that it feels like numerous years ago like they barely have electricity there yeah it feels almost timeless except for the times where i mean you have like james brown in the background you see some of their fashion uh once benny becomes good friends with tiago But other than that, it just feels like it could be kind of any time in the mid-1900s, really, mid-20th century. It's not easy to pinpoint what time period this is. If you aren't paying attention too hard, it could feel like it's any time. And I think that's a very, that's a pro towards the movie in that it could be taking place now just as much as it could be taking place back then. And that's part of that whole cycle of violence concept. Yeah, it's not just a 60s, 70s, 80s movie. It's thematic of uh, things that have always been going on and probably always will be. And so the movie kind of ends up winding down towards the end of the war where Knockout Ned has been killed by the son of the first innocent man he killed. Carrot is going to jail with the police. 
and the police capture Lao Zhe as well. And the only reason this war was stopped and everyone was captured by the police is because Lao Zhe screwed over the police when making a gun deal, and so they wanted revenge, and that's the only reason why they got involved to stop this thing in the first place. And it shows they could have really stopped this bloodshed at almost any time if they cared about anything other than just getting paid. Yeah, it wasn't about keeping the neighborhood safe. It was, again, for them, just about revenge. It really shows in this movie that the cops are just another gang. Yeah. There's Carrot, there's Lose, and the cops are like, we're not going to do anything until you disturb us, and then we're going to come a-knocking for our money. And they're the ones who really, at the end of the day, end up getting Lose killed. But they also are the ones who end up ending the war. And you could they could have done that at any time. And so, yeah, Carrot goes to jail. Ned's dead. And as we talked about before, there's a little pack of kids called the Runts who just commit small petty crimes. But you can tell that these kids are growing up to become a gang of their own. And Lil Zay kills one of them for robbing on his territory and shoots one of them in the foot. That was like a a traumatic scene. I mean, just seeing that kid, I I wonder just like what that kid was thinking, like as just an actor in that scene, having a gun pointed at him. And he was just so like genuinely terrified and crying. It was either good acting or he was actually like (laughs) really scared. Yeah, next to the Lil Zay murdering everyone in the motel scene, that one's debatably the most messed up, too, because before you were seeing children commit violence, but you really didn't see the violence being committed on small, small children. And this just showed in the movie that Lil Zay, as well as a lot of the gang members here, because Lil Zay's not the only one who's doing this, He's being egged on by the other gang members to kill this, like, maybe six-year-old kid. And the fact that in this scene, it's violence being done on the children and not just being done by the children. Yeah, I mean, he's punishing these kids for committing crimes in the neighborhood because it directs attention, like, from the police. And that could get Lil Zay in trouble and he'll have to pay off the cops lose a bunch of money crimes are okay as long as the police don't find out one as long as you're not doing it on his territory too yeah yeah he's he's got to be the baddest uh in the neighborhood yeah one again going back to him having that inferiority complex and he just needing to prove himself even if it's to little kids which you didn't need to prove yourself to them sure they would have gotten the idea but then they go back and they're like hey this is for our friend and blast Lil Zay at the end, and that act of extreme violence was ultimately his downfall at the end. Yeah. I feel like my only negative towards the movie is that Rocket is almost kind of a background character through a lot of the movie. I feel like the last third during the war is when we get to know more about him and more about where his life is going, and that he got the camera, and he's now working for the newspaper. And he's become, again, Pavel and gang member Peter Parker. He's taken pictures of Lil Zay. And that's how he becomes a huge reporter is that they're like, we're all too scared to get anywhere near this guy. And he's like, this has been my life since the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll just take pictures for him. And Lil Zay is all about it. He's like, see, look, I'm famous. And that's all he cares about. He's just like. He doesn't even care about the money at this point. He has all the money he could want and he can kill with impunity. And now he's just like, now I want the fame because now he can be feared all over Brazil. Yeah, I want everyone to know I'm the baddest and everything. And so Rocket gets him that spotlight. At first, it's an accident. Like Rocket is just developing these photos in their darkroom at the newspaper which is kind of stupid if you don't want the newspaper to see those photos and they end up publishing them and Brock is like Lil Zay's gonna kill me but Lil Zay was really into it and uh, that's kind of how Rocket got closer to this whole plot of the war 
rather than remaining a bystander character or uh, just going on to live his life while the most significant events in his neighborhood are going on. Yeah, and it also shows a smaller theme in the movie of just the disassociation between the people at the people at the newspaper who pretty much live in the rich part of Rio are in like the stereotypical postcard where you would see a Rio de Janeiro. And they're all like, oh, I'm just going to publish this thing. It's nothing. And the fact that Rocky goes, this is going to get me murdered. And mm-hmm. they're all like, whoa, what's the big deal? Like, there's nothing that problematic about it. And he's like, I will die. I don't think you guys are understanding this concept of my life is done now. Or at least he thinks it is, but that's because he thinks Lil Zay is going to freak out when he sees the photo in the paper. When in reality, Lil Zay is just like, hey, hey I'm famous now. Um, which brings us back to the beginning of the movie where the chicken runs away and they're all caught up in pretty much the Mexican standoff between the police, Lil Zay's crew, and eventually knockout Ned's crew. What's the symbolism of Rocket being stuck in the standoff? between the police and the game. Basically, you can either fight and lose your innocence, but you'll probably be killed, or you can keep your innocence and not fight, and you'll still probably be killed. Yeah, that kind of sums it up. Yeah, and it's that cycle that you see in most mob movies, but again, with this being in such a different environment than we're used to seeing. And such in a different legal structure than what we're used to seeing. It brings a whole new context and a whole new story, which leads to it being my favorite mob story of all time. Yeah, I would say this is my favorite mob story, too. I mean, I saw Goodfellas in high school, and even then I kind of fell asleep because it was, it was already pretty late. And I don't think I've ever seen The Godfather, but everyone should see City of God. It's a fantastic movie i thoroughly enjoyed it that is one of the best movies unlike the godfather where it almost kind of glorifies the violence at some points and even with goodfellas they glorify the violence at some points there is no glorification of violence here the godfather goodfellas and city of god for me will be the pinnacle of gang related movies Mm -hmm. all right so with all that should we get to our recommends for the week sure yeah so uh this past week i saw the netflix documentary our father have you heard of it Uh, i have not uh it's about a fertility doctor who inseminated his patients over the course of years or even decades and with the advent of 23andme his children find out that they're all related and they have dozens of siblings uh, all within like a 25 mile radius and they're just trying to go after their biological father and get him to face some consequences for his actions but lawyers can't really nail anything down because nobody ever thought of this being against the law uh, there's no law that says you can't inseminate your patients but there are some laws that are kind of close um but they really just weren't able to charge him with something technically because no one thought of this as being a possibility (laughs) because well you'd have to be your own brand a crazy person to do something like that yeah so now there are laws against that and uh, i think it's the state of indiana uh, and some other states but he was finally charged with falsifying paperwork they just needed some kind of technicality to get him on but yeah, it's a really interesting, well-done film. Uh, the protagonist of it is uh, one of his biological daughters. Her father uh, raised her thinking that she was his biological daughter. He had no reason to think otherwise. And uh, there were so many parents who kind of go through that same thing. And it's so, it's such an emotional thing to go through, like as the parents and as the children, because they're like, I shouldn't exist. That guy's sperm should have never like gone in my mother's egg and I should never exist. But like they thought like, yeah, it must be my husband's because I haven't cheated on him. Like, yeah, there's no way it could be someone else. 
Yeah, I mean, it's all like artificial insemination. I think some of them might have been uh, sperm donors, but most of them were uh, kind of like an IVF situation where the doctor just had to assist with fertilizing uh, using the husband's sperm. And it had to be fresh. It wasn't like frozen or anything. While the mother was in the room derobing, the doctor was like one wall away uh, preparing his sample and then uh, injecting her. So it was pretty sick. I was going to say, I just got the freaking... Yeah. Like- <laughs> the the willies over that the it's, willies we, we're to call it the willies but i got the willies i was just like yeah that's freaking gross yeah. yeah but uh it's it's a dark uh just really well done documentary uh i highly recommend it i have to check that out especially i'm curious to see the reactions from all the different children i feel like they all have to think of this in a different way or have some sort of different response yeah and they're all kind of going through this together. Like they're all meeting up at this time where they're going after uh, their biological father. Uh, so it's not just these standalone interviews. Like, how do you feel? No, these, it, these children are all, these adult children are all meeting up. Uh, so it's not just a documentary talking about things. It's uh, an active kind of investigation and pursuit. And it, it's just, it's pretty cool. All right, for my recommend, I'm going to be talking about the video game No Man's Sky, which came out a while ago. I think it was 2016. Do you remember anything about No Man's Sky? I think it was like 2012, and it had so much hype at the time when it was coming out. I remember it was like deeply disappointing when it first came out. Yeah, exactly. So there was so much hype behind the game, like. The fact that it maintained over to you being a non-gamer shows how much the game was hyped up and just had all the advertising behind it was shown on game shows. And then it came out and it was boring. Like the concept of the game was there, but that was it. There was nothing to do. There was literally shoot your beam at rocks, collect stuff, and then go to another planet to go check it out. And the only thing that was there was mining and seeing weird creatures and weird planets, which doesn't really matter if it just gets boring really fast. You couldn't buy new ships. You couldn't like build bases. And so I booted up the game now because I've been hearing great things from all the patchwork that they've done that even though the game was terrible at first, they've really stuck with the game and made it into a game that's not just worth 60 bucks, but maybe even like goes above and beyond that. Basically them being like, we sorry, we messed up. Like we actually are fixing our game because I've seen so many games nowadays that come out broken and they say, yeah, we're going to fix it. Yeah, we have this whole big roadmap and we're going to do things to it. And then just no one fixes it. It never becomes the game it had the potential to be. Whereas I booted this back up and I saw so many things that immediately improve the game there's stuff to do it maintains the idea of being an an explorer being able to explore all these different planets and all these different planets are actually different this time whenever they would randomly generate the planets they all started to look pretty samey and some of the monsters looked ridiculous because it's just randomly generated and while it's still that way they seem to all make sense now where before you would get like a T-Rex head with possum arms and it just looked goofy. It looked like a glitch and the game has really advanced a whole ton. And so I would say any gamer who wants to try it out, definitely try it out. They have base building now. They have different species that you get to learn their language. You get to research how to learn their languages. You can buy whole freighters. You can pretty much create your own little armada of spaceships. You can build all this stuff. And it's basically become now more or less like Star Trek meets Minecraft. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, it's a lot of mining. It's a lot of finding materials. It's a lot of exploring. It's almost a little bit like Pokemon too in that like you're collecting more stuff for your journal. I think at first it was kind of an interesting exercise in 
world building, but that's kind of all it was. So it like deeply needed those game mechanics added to it. Yeah, it was a gimmick that had no game around it. And now it's an actual game that services the gimmick. So yeah, No Man's Sky, that is my recommend. It's also available in VR and I attached it in my VR headset. And it was very hard to control, but it was sick being able to be in VR and fly your ship to a different planet. I'll have to check it out. I, I haven't used VR in quite a while. I mean, you're the only person I know that has VR. Yep. And I'm the only one who keeps perpetuating it because I feel like all my friends are like, yeah, it seems like a pretty cool thing. And I'm like, no, I want I want this. I want them to make more amazing games for this thing. Yeah, I hope VR doesn't die just because zuckerberg's lame <laughs> the metaverse uh the marketing behind it just sound it's so corporate and lame and nobody seems to like it all right guys so next week we will be talking about shaolin soccer shaolin soccer that's a movie this will be the first one i haven't seen and yes it is a movie and i'm very interested to actually watch this because we're both gonna have genuine reactions to what I know of is a ridiculous movie. What country is this from? I think China. From what I understand, it's the closest thing that's actually good live action anime because it is so wacky. But I've heard amazing things and I've heard the martial arts in the movie is actually genuinely extremely impressive. So I've heard enough good things that I'm like, this sounds perfect for the show. I haven't watched it, but will actually have one that I'm not always going, oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is amazing. And having you come up and be like, I think at the worst you were like, oh, this is amazing, but kind of generic. But like, yeah, you still enjoyed it. And so now we'll have one that's a little different. I'm just looking at the pictures from it now, and it looks like it's a lot of fun. So can't wait to watch it. Yeah going to be a goofy fun time so if you want to follow along with us in the spoiler section again that's on hulu and youtube so check it out and we'll see you guys next week bada bing bada boom welcome to not your average movie podcast not your average movie podcast not your average movie podcast there we go. That's our theme song. We wrote it ourselves. And I am your host, Tom Stift. And with me, as always, is my good pal and friend. <laughs> <laughs> my good pal. My good pal. Uh, Adam De Benedictus. We, we, are, we are two buddies uh, who watch movies every week and uh, talk about them. Isn't that? Uh... That's a great introduction. Okay, that might that one might be going to the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> Although one of these days we're definitely have to do a drunk show. Not a full blown drunk show, but like a buzz show. Yeah. Let's do it. If there's a movie like uh if we did Drunken Master. Drunken Master? Have you heard of Drunken Master? No, is that a movie? It's yeah, it's a uh Jackie Chan. Oh okay. uh, classic. Classic Beijing Jackie Chan, kind of, or sorry, Beijing, Hong Kong, Hong Kong cinema. I don't know if that one's slightly too popular, but I mean, you didn't know it, so there we go. No, I don't think I could name one Jackie Chan movie. Uh, Like not even an American one? Well, there's Rush Hour. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I keep thinking and I'm like, no, that's Bruce Lee. That's Bruce Lee. Uh, oh, see, I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like I can, can name a bunch of Jackie Chans, but I can only name like one Bruce Lee and that's Enter the Dragon. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was Eye of the Dragon it is Enter the Dragon. Uh-huh. Eye of the Dragon is the thrill of the fight. <laughs> All right. And I'm, I'm doing that uh, hot start again. <laughs> J- jumping in nice and spicy. Nice also- and spicy. <laughs> I'm going to be starting a side channel called Adam Ain't Seen Shit. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of stole that from a different podcast I watch. I'm going to start a side channel whenever I'm not able to be on here. Be like, Adam, watch this classic movie. God damn it. That's kind of what this is, except we're seeing more off the beaten path movies. 
Yeah. Well, and we're like so far, we've done only movies that I've seen because I'm generally picking out the movies. But at least next week's movie, and I'm hoping moving forward to have more movies that I haven't seen that I can jump in on. Yeah, uh, and I'll start suggesting movies too once I can think of something. Yeah. When again, it'd be a nice little side story. It'd be like Adam's classics, Adam's and classics. just talk about classic movies that you haven't seen. Because at least with the movies we're talking about, yeah, you haven't seen them. But the concept is that not a lot of people in general have seen them. All right, this has been not your average movie podcast with Tom and Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Adam being like, and we end it now. <laughs> <laughs>